Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you go ahead and be turning to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. We're studying right now a series called Kingdom Living in a Fallen World. Kingdom Living, the Kingdom of Heaven invading into this fallen, lost world. We discovered that God created the Kingdom of Heaven as well as the Kingdom of the World. Both of those were absolutely perfect until man sinned. And when man sinned in the garden, it caused sin to come in and lost dominion to the old enemy. And this world became a fallen state. We've been existing in a fallen world. But God didn't give up on us. Amen. Thank you, Lord. He didn't give up on us, but rather he had a plan for us, a plan to redeem the world and to win it back, to buy it back, and to purchase it. And that all centers around the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one whereby the kingdom of heaven reinvaded the kingdom of this world. And what happened there at Bethlehem, what happened there at the cross, all of the life of Jesus is, tells us about the fact of how the kingdom of heaven is invading this world. In John chapter 3, we've been focusing on that last few weeks. Two weeks ago, we talked about it's one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible because it answers the most important question that you and I should ever ask, and that is, how can a person enter the kingdom of heaven? That's what John 3 is all about. Nicodemus asked that question of Jesus, how can a person have a relationship with God? How can that? We know you're from God. How do we go to heaven like that? And Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus answered that question, how can you enter into the kingdom of heaven? How can you be a part of the kingdom of heaven? You must be born again. And then Jesus goes on to explain and share what being born again is all about. And last week, we talked about how long and what are some of the descriptions of the kingdom of heaven. And we saw in there in John 3, 15 and John 3, 16, as well as the very last verse of that John 3, we found out that the kingdom of heaven has to do with eternal life. Eternal life is not just the duration that there is no end, but it's also the quality of life. It's God's life. It's having restored to us what God gave to us originally, eternal life, to live far with and the blessings of God for all eternity without end. I don't know about you, but I wanted to sign up for that. Amen? I want to be a part of the eternal life, the kingdom of God. Well, today I want to continue there in John chapter 3. And I want you to see that Jesus describes very vividly what his purpose is when he comes the very first time. And you hear what I said? What is the purpose that Jesus says here in John chapter 3? We all know John 3, 16, but did you realize that John 3, 17 is very important as well? It's very important as well because we're going to focus. Jesus there talks about what his purpose was when he came the very first time. Because we know something. We know that Jesus is coming a second time. Amen? Are you ready for Jesus to come a second time? Are you ready for him to return? That could be any day. And it would be okay with me if it's today. Amen? 
I'm ready for Jesus to come back and to make all things right. I'm ready for him to become king of kings and lord of lords and rule over this world and to make a new heaven, new earth. I'll sign up for all that. Amen? All right? But he tells us what is going to happen in the second coming. And and then here in John 3, he says what he came for and the purpose of why he came the first time. You need to get that in your heart and mind. There's a difference between the first and second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus is all about Jesus Christ and his glory. It's all about him coming as the king of kings and lord of lords. And it's all about him coming as judge. He is going to be the judge and he is going to be the executioner. That's the second time that he comes. So I want us just to be reminded, Turn hold here in John 3 for just a second, and look over in the Revelation. I, I want you to see what it says about this Jesus who comes the second time. And I want you to get in your mind what he's doing when he comes the second time so you'll fully understand what he does when he comes the first time. In Revelation chapter 1, this is written by John, the apostle, the beloved apostle, the disciple of Jesus, the best friend of Jesus who walked on the earth. The, the, the disciple who said he knew Jesus so well, he laid his head on the bosom of Jesus as they would fellowship and, and talk together. This one who knew Jesus so well, when he sees him on the Isle of Patmos in this vision, he has a picture of Jesus different than what he experienced the first time. He sees Jesus in all of his glory. Look what it says in verse 12 of chapter 1. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burning bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. That's Jesus in all of his glory. Amen? Well, he goes on and tells you more about what he's going to do whenever he comes that second time. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation chapter 19, it talks about in verse 11 about his coming. What's he going to do when he comes? And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. You get that in your mind? Whenever he comes a second time in all of his glory, he's going to do what? He judges and wages war, and his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and he's come written upon him which... No one knows except himself. And he's clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on the white horse. And from his mouth came a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fierce wrath of God and the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh... 
He has a name that is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's Jesus coming the second time. Amen? And that's not all. Look at chapter 20. says there in verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great, the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I'm introducing to you Jesus when he comes the second time. Amen. (laughs) I mean, there's no doubt he's going to come in all of his glory. There's no doubt he's coming to judge the world. There's no doubt he is going to be the executioner. He is going to do what he has said he will do. He will make all things right. That's Jesus coming the second time, all right? But what about when Jesus comes the first time? Go back to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16, we know those great words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have that eternal, everlasting, wonderful, glorious life. Those wonderful words of Jesus. But listen to what it says in verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The Son, who is this Son? The Son of Man. Remember Jesus said the Son of Man, a title for Jesus that was introduced by the prophets of old. The Son of Man. This is the Son of God. This is the one that God, who loved the world so very much, that he gave this only begotten Son that people might be able to live. And and he states about the truth of that verse 16, that if somebody believes in this Son of God, that they will not perish, but they can have eternal life. Then Jesus comes in verse 7. These are the words of Jesus and talks about The purpose of the Son of God when he came the first time. You know what he says? When the Son of God came the first time, he did not come to judge. That's when he comes the second time. That's when he comes the second time, when he comes to judge. He did not come to this world to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, you need to get in your heart and your mind that what Jesus came to do and why he was sent and why God's plan of salvation is all about, it has to do with sending the Son of God to this world 
that he might be able to save the world. He he doesn't come in all of his regal robes. He doesn't come with all of his glory and manifestations of that. He doesn't come that way. He comes as a humble servant. He comes as a humble servant who is willing to give his life for the sins of man. He is willing to reveal that he is related to man and the fact that he's all God, he's all man, but he's come as the perfect example of man and he's the perfect lamb of God who can eventually die on a cross to pay the price of sin for the lost man that we are. But he said, I did not come here to judge you. I came here to save you. (laughs) I came here to save you. So if you are here today and you're wondering, how do I see Jesus and why should I see Jesus? That's what Jesus said. See me as Savior. See me as the one who has come to save you, not as the judge that will come later. Now, you know, that's kind of an interesting thing that the, you remember the Mount of Transfiguration is recorded in, in three of the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew 17. Mark 9 and Luke 9 all record about the Mount of Transfiguration. Have have you ever wondered, what did that have to do with anything? Why why was there the Mount of Transfiguration? What was the purpose of the Mount of Transfiguration? Well, you know what it was? It was an opportunity for his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, to travel up to that mountain and be with Jesus, and they got a chance to have a peek into glory. (laughs) <laughs> That's what they did. They, they had, a, had a chance to, to have a peek into heaven. Because whenever they peeked into heaven in that Mount of Transfiguration, remember what happens? Jesus' face glows. His raiment is so white, it says a, a, a laundry could not make it that white. It's, it's glowing. It's like the sun that's shining. Where, does that, where do you see that picture elsewhere? You see it in the Revelation, don't you? You see that he's full of glory and, and he's shining and What's the Mount of Transfiguration about? It's a little peek for them into heaven to see that this one who's walked with them for three years, this one who's taught them, this one who's the Savior of the world, in all of his humility, they had a chance to look in for just a minute and see a picture of his glory and and what his glory is all about. So they had an opportunity to see that and understand that. that. That's when John writes the Revelation He knows who it is who has all that glory because he saw it in the Mount of Transfiguration. He understood who this Jesus was and and that this was Jesus who is walking among the candlesticks. He understands that. But also for Jesus, it served a purpose. And that was Jesus goes to the Mount of Transfiguration to get recharged. Did any of you ever need to be recharged? renewed we call it revived you know his father calls him to the mount of transfiguration so that jesus in in all of he's doing for these 33 years he's been walking in this earth as a humble servant and he's been doing all the things god wants him to do right there before some of the most important things he's about to do god brings him to the mountain and energizes him just energizes him. And, and, and there's Moses there who's talking with him and the prophet who is talking to him. And, and, and so they're gathered together. What are they talking about? About things about to take place. What's about to take place? He's about to give his life 
on the cross. About to give his life on the cross. So Moses and Elijah, they're talking about this is what the law said, and, and this is what the prophet said, and Jesus, this is what you came for. And God energizes him and meets with him and empowers him because he's about to carry out the hardest thing that's ever been done. That is to give one's life for another, not just another, for all mankind who is lost. And therefore, the Mount of Transfiguration is just a midpoint It's an opportunity to peek into heaven. It's an opportunity to energize him with all of his glory because he's been here walking as a man for 33 years. Living as a man in the sinful world for 33 years. Humbly serving God for 33 years. Doing what God would have him do for 33 years because his first reason he came was not to judge the world, but to save it. To save it. (laughs) Now, That, that brings us to a, an important word right there. You see in verse 17 it says, Did not send the Son of the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved. Cir- circle that word saved. Saved is a good word. It, it seems like we've gotten so cultured, we don't like to use the word saved anymore. Baptists used to talk about, man, you've been saved, you've been saved. Now we've got to be, have you been transformed? <laughs> Are you a believer? What? It's a, we don't like to use the word saved. Saved is a good word. All right? It's a good word. It's a Bible word. You find it in the Bible. Matter of fact, it's a Jesus word. He's the one who said it. So being saved is okay to say, all right? Matter of fact, being saved real, is the fact that you realize that you needed to be. <laughs> Whenever you're dying... Save me, amen? Whenever you're drowning, save me. When you're sinking, save me. We wouldn't have to worry about crying that out if we knew where we were and we needed some help, amen? And I'll tell you, we needed saving. We needed saving. For we are lost in our sin. And it says that when Jesus comes the first time, he says, I did not come to judge this world, but I came to save this world. To, to, notice what it says. It says that the world should be saved. Notice those last two words. What does it say? Look in your Bibles. Through him. How, how is the world going to be saved? Through the Son. Through this one, Jesus. Through something that he is going to do, he is going to be able to save the world. The only hope you have of being saved is because of what Jesus did. Amen? It's not what you do. It's not what anybody else does for you. It's what Jesus did. And Jesus was sent here not to judge the world, but to save the world by what he does. So if you're here today and you've never had a relationship with God, you never had a relationship with Jesus, And you think that that the church and Jesus and all that stuff is just judging you, always judging you, then you're mistaken. See, Jesus didn't come to judge you. He came to save you. He, He didn't come to point a finger at you. He came to raise a hand to pull you out of where you are. He came to take your place. 
He did everything he can to save you. That's why he came the first time. And he's still in the saving business today. The the seed of mercy is still open today. The grace is still available to you today. And as long as we're in this realm, rather than Jesus coming the second time, he's still all about saving people. And he wants to save you if you've never been saved. If you've got the idea that everybody's judging you, that Jesus is judging you, then you're wrong. There is going to be a time whenever he comes to judge, but now is not that time. He came to save you. And then he goes on and explains about that. How does that happen? Look at at verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. You You ought to underline that. He who believes in him is not judged. In other words, it said in John 3, 16, if we believe in him, we have everlasting life. But it also says right here, if we believe in Jesus, we will never, ever be judged. Not not judged on the basis of life and death. Not based on whether you're eternity or you're punished forever. You will never, ever be judged if you believe in him. You know why? Because Jesus was the one who was judged in your stead he he was the one who was judged in your stead do do you know what it says happened at the cross you know what it says god god looked on his son and he saw sin not his sin for he had never sinned but he saw sin he made him to be sin whose sin was it your sin my sin our sin Jesus became sin, took our sin upon him. I can't even imagine how it happens. I can't imagine what happens in regard to that. But God said that's what happened. He made him to be sin. And you know what God did? God cast judgment upon sin. And you know what the the law says about sin? The law says that sin, every soul that sins must surely die. There is punishment for sin, and it's the punishment of death. And whenever he saw his son as sin, he called upon him that you are guilty and you must die. And he went to that cross because he was guilty of sin, our sin. He carried our sin as though he had done all of it himself. He was brought to that cross and nailed at that cross. And the wrath of God, the wrath of his father fell on him because he was guilty of sin, our sin. Let me tell you what that does for you and me. Listen carefully what he said. He who believes in him he believes who he believes will never be judged. For see, Jesus has already been judged. Jesus has already had the conviction upon him, and Jesus has already paid the price. And once the price is paid, once it's paid and the punishment is, has been fulfilled, no one has to pay it again. It's been paid in full. 
And when Jesus died, he paid for your sin in full. Therefore, you do not have to be judged because Jesus was judged in your place. If you believe in him, if you believe when he died on that cross, he took your place. If you believe he's the son of almighty God, if you commit your life to him, if you will do that, you will never, ever be judged. You'll never have the guilty plea placed over your life. You'll never be ushered away into a place of punishment. You don't have to fear that anymore. One thing I do not fear, I do not fear the judgment of God. I I do, I am concerned sometimes about what I do with what I have. And when it's going to be the wood, hay, and stubble or the silver and gold, I think sometimes I probably waste a lot of what God gives to me. But that ain't got anything to do about being saved. Amen. Got anything to do about eternal life. I, I never am concerned about whether I have eternal life. I'm never, I'm never concerned about the judgment of God being placed on me because in my spirit and by God's spirit, he testifies to my spirit that I am a child of God and I have been redeemed. I have been redeemed. Not what I did, what he did. Not my merit, his merit. I have no hope but that I believe in him. But when I believe in him, the word of God says, I'll not be judged. Wait a minute. Don't miss the other part. Verse 18. These are the words of Jesus. But he who does not believe has been judged already. But he who has not believed has been judged already. What in the world does that mean? Well, it, it means this. That if you don't put your life in the hands of Jesus and you don't trust what Jesus did, it's not a matter of you going to be judged. You are already judged. Now, do you know how and why you're already judged? Because there's no need for witnesses. Because Almighty God, who knows everything, He knows everything. He is the only witness it takes. And you know what God knows about you? He knows every sin that you ever committed. He knows everything you've ever done wrong. He doesn't have to have anybody to come and bear witness about who you are. Doesn't have to have any testimony that's born out there. He's all-knowing, almighty God, and he already knows that the testimony that he has is true and that you are a sinner. The second thing is there is no deliberation. There is no deliberation. There is no discussion about it. There is no need because the law already states about what the punishment is for a sinner. It says in the word of God that every soul that sins must surely die. That's the law of God. That can't be deliberated. That can't be changed. Every punishment of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So in the case of that one who's not judged, Jesus is the one who paid the price for sin. But for the one who does not believe that Jesus died in their place, it is left only that they would be the one who pays the price of sin, the punishment of sin, which is death. So that's why he says, if you don't believe in the Son of God, you've been judged already. You are guilty. (laughs) 
Don't think you're going to go. I hear people say, well, when I stand before God, I'm going to ask God this, and I'm going to talk to God about that, and I'm going to discuss God. No, you're not. You're going to keep your mouth shut what you're going to do. You ain't going to say anything. He ain't going to ask you a word. He doesn't need a word. He already knows everything about you, and he already knows what the law says. And you have been judged already because you did not believe. Because you did not believe. Brings you to the very last statement, verse 17. Listen to what it says. Uh, verse 18, I'm sorry. It says, He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know what that, you know what that says? Here, here's the summation of that statement. It all has to do with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And it's all about what are you doing with Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? And have you believed in Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Is your total trust in Jesus the way that you're going to go to heaven? Is Jesus. I want to tell you, my friend, when you stand before the gates, if they were to ever ask you that question of, why should I let you into my heaven? God would say, the only answer that works is Jesus. (laughs) It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. But I put my faith and I put my trust in Jesus. And In putting my faith and trust in Jesus, that's my only hope, and that's what works. It's not going to be about, well, I did bad sins versus versus not so bad sins, or my sins weren't as bad as the other people's sins, and and I didn't do that mortal sin, and I did that. It doesn't matter. None of of that matters. What, What matters is, what did you do with Jesus? Or what Jesus asked at Caesarea Philippi when he asked that question, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? If you do not see him and accept him as the son of God, as the savior of the world, as the one who died on the cross to pay the price for your sin, if you do not believe in him and accept him as Lord and savior, you have been judged already. That's not my words, friend. That's the words of Jesus. Very quickly, to finish out this chapter, the very last part of this chapter has to do with John the Baptist. John's disciples came to him and said, John, we don't understand. He said, Jesus, the one that you baptized, he's baptizing other people. And more and more people are going to him. They're starting to follow him. He's becoming the popular preacher instead of you. And and what did did John the Baptist say? John said, that's okay. I'm I'm just an attendant. I'm just a... The groomsman, he, he's the groom. He's the bridegroom. And, and he said, that's okay. He must increase and I must decrease. And then he goes and he makes statements about who this Jesus is. Now, remember, Jesus made statements about himself. But listen to what John the Baptist says about Jesus there in verse 3. He says in verse 27, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Look at verse 20, 31, he says, He who comes from above is above all. Where is above? Kingdom of heaven. What do you say about Jesus? Jesus came from above. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. But he who comes from heaven is above all. What he, talking about Jesus, has seen and heard, 
of that he bears witness, and no man receives his witness. In other words, he says, what Jesus is telling you that he's seen and heard are things that we, none of us have ever seen and heard. Why? Because he came from heaven. <laughs> Look what he says in verse 30, 33. He who has received his witness has this seal to this, has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. What John is saying is this. This man, the one I baptized, go after him. He is not like me. He is of heaven. He speaks the things of God. There are things he's seen and know that I will never see or know. He is the one to follow. And then notice what he says as he confirms what Jesus said in John 3, 16, 17, and 18 in verse 36. He who believes, this is John speaking now, he who believes in the Son has what? Has eternal life. That's not Jesus. That's John just affirming what Jesus said. I want to tell you what. If Jesus said it and John the Baptist came behind him and said it, I think I might believe it. What do y'all think? That's two pretty good witnesses. Amen? Two pretty good. So Jesus said it and John comes back and says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I mean, here's the perfect Son of God who's who's given the perfect witness about salvation and why he comes, and all God does is add to it and say, well, okay, John, you stand up. Who's John the Baptist? Jesus said, of those born of women, there's none greater than John. That's what Jesus said. That's a pretty good resume, amen? How many of you like that on your resume? Jesus said, of people born of man or woman, none is greater than them. That's what Jesus said about John. So here's Jesus who's given the perfect witness about how a person is saved and how a person has eternal life and about judgment and where it comes and when it happens. All those things that are true that we hold dear. And John stands up and says, I want to give a witness to you. Everything he said is true. Everything he said is true. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But if you do not believe in him, you will face judgment, and you'll face the wrath of God. I'll tell you something. Jesus smiles at you right now. He holds out nail-scarred hands to you right now. He invites you to have a relationship with him right now. He lets you know he's paid the price for your sin, and he accepts you just the way you are right now. That's the Jesus you want to meet That's the Jesus you want to meet because when he comes the second time, he's coming as king of kings, lord of lords, and judge of judges to carry out the judgment of God and to bring about the wrath of God upon those who will not believe that he is the son of God. Have you put your faith and trust in him? I hope you have. I hope you know him. Lord and Savior. I hope you know what it's like to be saved from your sin. If not, today's the day to give your heart to Christ. Today's the day to be saved. Not tomorrow. Not waiting another day. Today is the day to be saved so that you'll know that you have a home in heaven and that you have Jesus Christ as your Savior.
concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.